volume one part one chapter forty six of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty six of the end of the notable adventure of the officers of the holy brotherhood and of the great ferocity of our worthy knight don quixote while don quixote was talking in this strain the curate was endeavouring to persuade the officers that he was out of his senses as they might perceive by his deeds and his words and that they need not press the matter any further for even if they arrested him and carried him off they would have to release him by and by as a madman to which the holder of the warrant replied that he had nothing to do with inquiring into don quixote's madness but only to execute his superior's orders and that once taken they might let him go three hundred times if they liked for all that said the curate you must not take him away this time nor will he it is my opinion let himself be taken away in short the curate used such arguments and don quixote did such mad things that the officers would have been more mad than he was if they had not perceived his want of wits and so they thought it best to allow themselves to be pacified and even to act as peacemakers between the barber and sancho panza who still continued their altercation with much bitterness in the end they as officers of justice settled the question by arbitration in such a manner that both sides were if not perfectly contented at least to some extent satisfied for they changed the pack-saddles but not the girths or headstalls and as to mambrino's helmet the curate under the rose and without don quixote's knowing it paid eight reals for the basin and the barber executed a full receipt and engagement to make no further demand then or thenceforth for evermore amen these two disputes which were the most important and gravest being settled it only remained for the servants of don luis to consent that three of them should return while one was left to accompany him whither don fernando desired to take him and good luck and better fortune having already begun to solve difficulties and remove obstructions in favour of the lovers and warriors of the inn were pleased to persevere and bring everything to a happy issue for the servants agreed to do as don luis wished which gave doña clara such happiness that no one could have looked into her face just then without seeing the joy of her heart zoraida though she did not fully comprehend all she saw was grave or gay without knowing why as she watched and studied the various countenances but particularly her spaniards whom she followed with her eyes and clung to with her soul the gift and compensation which the curate gave the barber had not escaped the landlord's notice and he demanded don quixote's reckoning together with the amount of the damage to his wine-skins and the loss of his wine swearing that neither rocinante nor sancho's ass should leave the inn until he had been paid to the very last farthing the curate settled all amicably and don fernando paid though the judge had also very readily offered to pay the score and all became so peaceful and quiet that the inn no longer reminded one of the discord of agramante's camp as don quixote said but of the peace and tranquillity of the days of octavianus for all which it was the universal opinion that their thanks were due to the great zeal and eloquence of the curate and to the unexampled generosity of don fernando finding himself now clear and quit of all quarrels his squire's as well as his own 
don quixote considered that it would be advisable to continue the journey he had begun and bring to a close that great adventure for which he had been called and chosen and with this high resolve he went and knelt before dorothea who however would not allow him to utter a word until he had risen so to obey her he rose and said it is a common proverb fair lady that diligence is the mother of good fortune and experience has often shown in important affairs that the earnestness of the negotiator brings the doubtful case to a successful termination but in nothing does this truth show itself more plainly than in war where quickness and activity forestall the devices of the enemy and win the victory before the foe has time to defend himself all this i say exalted and esteemed lady because it seems to me that for us to remain any longer in this castle now is useless and may be injurious to us in a way that we shall find out some day for who knows but that your enemy the giant may have learned by means of secret and diligent spies that i am going to destroy him and if the opportunity be given him he may seize it to fortify himself in some impregnable castle or stronghold against which all my efforts and the might of my indefatigable arm may avail but little therefore lady let us as i say forestall his schemes by our activity and let us depart at once in quest of fair fortune for your highness is only kept from enjoying it as fully as you could desire by my delay in encountering your adversary don quixote held his peace and said no more calmly awaiting the reply of the beauteous princess who with commanding dignity and in a style adapted to don quixote's own replied to him in these words i give you thanks sir knight for the eagerness you like a good knight to whom it is a natural obligation to succour the orphan and the needy display to afford me aid in my sore trouble and heaven grant that your wishes and mine may be realised so that you may see that there are women in this world capable of gratitude as to my departure let it be forthwith for i have no will but yours dispose of me entirely in accordance with your good pleasure for she who has once entrusted to you the defence of her person and placed in your hands the recovery of her dominions must not think of offering opposition to that which your wisdom may ordain on then in god's name said don quixote for when a lady humbles herself to me i will not lose the opportunity of raising her up and placing her on the throne of her ancestors let us depart at once for the common saying that in delay there is danger lends spurs to my eagerness to take the road and as neither heaven has created nor hell seen any that can daunt or intimidate me saddle rocinante sancho and get ready thy ass and the queen's palfrey and let us take leave of the castellan and these gentlemen and go hence this very instant sancho who was standing by all the time said shaking his head ah master master there is more mischief in the village than one hears of begging all good bodies pardon what mischief can there be in any village or in all the cities of the world you booby that can hurt my reputation said don quixote if your worship is angry replied sancho i will hold my tongue and leave unsaid what as a good squire i am bound to say and what a good servant should tell his master say what thou wilt returned don quixote provided thy words be not meant to work upon my fears for thou when thou fearest art behaving like thyself but i like myself when i fear not it is nothing of the sort as i am a sinner before god said sancho 
but that i take it to be sure and certain that this lady who calls herself queen of the great kingdom of mikomikon is no more so than my mother for if she was what she says she would not go rubbing noses with one that is here every instant and behind every door dorothea turned red at sancho's words for the truth was that her husband don fernando had now and then when the others were not looking gathered from her lips some of the reward his love had earned and sancho seeing this had considered that such freedom was more like a courtesan than a queen of a great kingdom she however being unable or not caring to answer him allowed him to proceed and he continued this i say senor because if after we have travelled roads and highways and passed bad nights and worse days one who is now enjoying himself in this inn is to reap the fruit of our labours there is no need for me to be in a hurry to saddle rocinante put the pad on the ass or get ready the palfrey for it will be better for us to stay quiet and let every jade mind her spinning and let us go to dinner good god what was the indignation of don quixote when he heard the audacious words of his squire so great was it that in a voice inarticulate with rage with a stammering tongue and eyes that flashed living fire he exclaimed rascally clown boorish insolent and ignorant ill-spoken foul-mouthed impudent backbiter and slanderer hast thou dared to utter such words in my presence and in that of these illustrious ladies hast thou dared to harbour such gross and shameless thoughts in thy muddled imagination be gone from my presence thou born monster storehouse of lies hoard of untruths garner of knaveries inventor of scandals publisher of absurdities enemy of the respect due to royal personages be gone show thyself no more before me under pain of my wrath and so saying he knitted his brows puffed out his cheeks gazed around him and stamped on the ground violently with his right foot showing in every way the rage that was pent up in his heart and at his words and furious gestures sancho was so scared and terrified that he would have been glad if the earth had opened that instant and swallowed him and his only thought was to turn round and make his escape from the angry presence of his master but the ready-witted dorothea who by this time so well understood don quixote's humour said to mollify his wrath be not irritated at the absurdities your good squire has uttered sir knight of the rueful countenance for perhaps he did not utter them without cause and from his good sense and christian conscience it is not likely that he would bear false witness against any one we may therefore believe without any hesitation that since as you say sir knight everything in this castle goes and is brought about by means of enchantment sancho i say may possibly have seen through this diabolical medium what he says he saw so much to the detriment of my modesty i swear by god omnipotent exclaimed don quixote at this your highness has hit the point and that some vile illusion must have come before this sinner of a sancho that made him see what it would have been impossible to see by any other means than enchantments for i know well enough from the poor fellow's goodness and harmlessness that he is incapable of bearing false witness against anybody true no doubt said don fernando for which reason senor don quixote you ought to forgive him and restore him to the bosom of your favour sicut erat in principio before illusions of this sort had taken away his senses don quixote said he was ready to pardon him and the curate went for sancho who came in very humbly 
and falling on his knees begged for the hand of his master who having presented it to him and allowed him to kiss it gave him his blessing and said now sancho my son thou wilt be convinced of the truth of what i have many a time told thee that everything in this castle is done by means of enchantment so it is i believe said sancho except the affair of the blanket which came to pass in reality by ordinary means believe it not said don quixote for had it been so i would have avenged thee that instant or even now but neither then nor now could i nor have i seen any one upon whom to avenge thy wrong they were all eager to know what the affair of the blanket was and the landlord gave them a minute account of sancho's flights at which they laughed not a little and at which sancho would have been no less out of countenance had not his master once more assured him it was all enchantment for all that his simplicity never reached so high a pitch that he could persuade himself it was not the plain and simple truth without any deception whatever about it that he had been blanketed by beings of flesh and blood and not by visionary and imaginary phantoms as his master believed and protested the illustrious company had now been two days in the inn and as it seemed to them time to depart they devised a plan so that without giving dorothea and don fernando the trouble of going back with don quixote to his village under pretence of restoring queen micomicona the curate and the barber might carry him away with them as they proposed and the curate be able to take his madness in hand at home and in pursuance of their plan they arranged with the owner of an ox-cart who happened to be passing that way to carry him after this fashion they constructed a kind of cage with wooden bars large enough to hold don quixote comfortably and then don fernando and his companions the servants of don luis and the officers of the brotherhood together with the landlord by the directions and advice of the curate covered their faces and disguised themselves some in one way some in another so as to appear to don quixote quite different from the persons he had seen in the castle this done in profound silence they entered the room where he was asleep taking his rest after the past phrase and advancing to where he was sleeping tranquilly not dreaming of anything of the kind happening they seized him firmly and bound him fast hand and foot so that when he awoke startled he was unable to move and could only marvel and wonder at the strange figures he saw before him upon which he at once gave way to the idea which his crazed fancy invariably conjured up before him and took it into his head that all these shapes were phantoms of the enchanted castle and that he himself was unquestionably enchanted as he could neither move nor help himself precisely what the curate the concocter of the scheme expected would happen of all that were there sancho was the only one who was at once in his senses and in his own proper character and he though he was within very little of sharing his master's infirmity did not fail to perceive who all these disguised figures were but he did not dare to open his lips until he saw what came of this assault and capture of his master nor did the latter utter a word waiting to see the upshot of his mishap which was that bringing in the cage they shut him up in it and nailed the bars so firmly that they could not be easily burst open they then took him on their shoulders and as they passed out of the room an awful voice as much so as the barber not he of the pack-saddle but the other was able to make it was heard to say o knight of the rueful countenance let not this captivity in which thou art placed afflict thee for this must needs be for the more speedy accomplishment of the adventure in which thy great heart has engaged thee 
the which shall be accomplished when the raging manchegan lion and the white tobosan dove shall be linked together having first humbled their haughty necks to the gentle yoke of matrimony and from this marvellous union shall come forth to the light of the world brave whelps that shall rival the ravening claws of their valiant father and this shall come to pass ere the pursuer of the flying nymph shall in his swift natural course have twice visited the starry signs and thou o most noble and obedient squire that ever bore sword at side beard on face or nose to smell with be not dismayed or grieved to see the flower of knight-errantry carried away thus before thy very eyes for soon if it so please the framer of the universe thou shalt see thyself exalted to such a height that thou shalt not know thyself and the promises which thy good master has made thee shall not prove false and i assure thee on the authority of the sage mentoroniana that thy wages shall be paid thee as thou shalt see in due season follow then the footsteps of the valiant enchanted knight for it is expedient that thou shouldst go to the destination assigned to both of you and as it is not permitted to me to say more god be with thee for i return to that place i wot of and as he brought the prophecy to a close he raised his voice to a high pitch and then lowered it to such a soft tone that even those who knew it was all a joke were almost inclined to take what they heard seriously don quixote was comforted by the prophecy he heard for he at once comprehended its meaning perfectly and perceived it was promised to him that he should see himself united in holy and lawful matrimony with his beloved dulcinea del toboso from whose blessed womb should proceed the whelps his sons to the eternal glory of la mancha and being thoroughly and firmly persuaded of this he lifted up his voice and with a deep sigh exclaimed o thou whoever thou art who hast foretold me so much good i implore of thee that on my part thou entreat that sage enchanter who takes charge of my interests that he leave me not to perish in this captivity in which they are now carrying me away ere i see fulfilled promises so joyful and incomparable as those which have been now made me for let this but come to pass and i shall glory in the pains of my prison find comfort in these chains wherewith they bind me and regard this bed whereon they stretch me not as a hard battlefield but as a soft and happy nuptial couch and touching the consolation of sancho panza my squire i rely upon his goodness and rectitude that he will not desert me in good or evil fortune for if by his ill luck or mine it may not happen to be in my power to give him the island i have promised or any equivalent for it at least his wages shall not be lost for in my will which is already made i have declared the sum that shall be paid to him measured not by his many faithful services but by the means at my disposal sancho bowed his head very respectfully and kissed both his hands for being tied together he could not kiss one and then the apparitions lifted the cage upon their shoulders and fixed it upon the ox-cart end of volume one part one chapter forty six recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty seven of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain 
Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 47. Of the strange manner in which Don Quixote of La Mancha was carried away enchanted, together with other remarkable incidents. When Don Quixote saw himself caged and hoisted on the cart in this way, he said, Many grave histories of knights-errant have I read, but never yet have I read, seen, or heard of their carrying off enchanted knights-errant in this fashion, or at the slow pace that these lazy, sluggish animals promise. For they always take them away through the air with marvellous swiftness, enveloped in a dark, thick cloud, or on a chariot of fire, or it may be on some hippogriff or other beast of the kind. But to carry me off like this on an ox-cart, by God, it puzzles me. But perhaps the chivalry and enchantments of our day take a different course from that of those in days gone by. And it may be, too, that as I am a new knight in the world, and the first to revive the already forgotten calling of knight-adventurers, they may have newly invented other kinds of enchantments and other modes of carrying off the enchanted. What thinkest thou of the matter, Sancho, my son? I don't know what to think, answered Sancho, not being as well read as your worship in errant writings, but for all that I venture to say and swear that these apparitions that are about us are not quite Catholic. Catholic, said Don Quixote, father of me, how can they be Catholic when they are all devils that have taken fantastic shapes to come and do this, and bring me to this condition? And if thou wouldst prove it, touch them, and feel them, and thou wilt find they have only bodies of air, and no consistency except an appearance. By God, master, returned Sancho, I have touched them already, and that devil that goes about there so busily has firm flesh, and another property very different from what I have heard say devils have, for by all accounts they all smell of brimstone and other bad smells, but this one smells of amber half a league off. Sancho was here speaking of Don Fernando, who, like a gentleman of his rank, was very likely perfumed, as Sancho said. Marvel not at that, Sancho, my friend, said Don Quixote, for let me tell thee devils are crafty, and even if they do carry odors about with them, they themselves have no smell, because they are spirits, or if they have any smell, they cannot smell of anything sweet, but of something foul and fetid and the reason is that as they carry hell with them wherever they go, and can get no ease whatever from their torments, and as a sweet smell is a thing that gives pleasure and enjoyment, it is impossible that they can smell sweet. If then this devil thou speakest of seems to thee to smell of amber, either thou art deceiving thyself, or he wants to deceive thee by making thee fancy he is not a devil. Such was the conversation that passed between master and man, and Don Fernando and Cardenio, apprehensive of Sancho's making a complete discovery of their scheme, towards which he had already gone some way, resolved to hasten their departure, and calling the landlord aside, they directed him to saddle Rocinante, and put the pack-saddle on Sancho's ass, which he did with great alacrity. In the meantime, the curate had made an arrangement with the officers, that they should bear them company as far as his village, he paying them so much a day. Cardenio hung the buckler on one side of the bow of Rocinante's saddle, and the basin on the other, and by signs commanded Sancho to mount his ass and take Rocinante's bridle, and at each side of the cart he placed two officers with their muskets. But before the cart was put in motion, out came the landlady and her daughter, and Maritornes, to bid Don Quixote farewell, pretending to weep with grief at his misfortune. And to them Don Quixote said, Weep not, good ladies 
for all these mishaps are the lot of those who follow the profession i profess and if these reverses did not befall me i should not esteem myself a famous knight-errant for such things never happen to knights of little renown and fame because nobody in the world thinks about them to valiant knights they do for these are envied for their virtue and valour by many princes and other knights who compass the destruction of the worthy by base means nevertheless virtue is of herself so mighty that in spite of all the magic that zoroastes its first inventor knew she will come victorious out of every trial and shed her light upon the earth as the sun does upon the heavens forgive me fair ladies if through inadvertence i have in awe offended you for intentionally and wittingly i have never done so to any and pray to god that he deliver me from this captivity to which some malevolent enchanter has consigned me and should i find myself released therefrom the favours that ye have bestowed upon me in this castle shall be held in memory by me that i may acknowledge recognize and requite them as they deserve while this was passing between the ladies of the castle and don quixote the curate and the barber bade farewell to don fernando and his companions to the captain his brother and the ladies now all made happy and in particular to dorothea and lucinda they all embraced one another and promised to let each other know how things went with them and don fernando directed the curate where to write to him to tell him what became of don quixote assuring him that there was nothing that could give him more pleasure than to hear and that he too on his part would send him word of everything he thought he would like to know about his marriage zoraida's baptism don luis's affair and lucinda's return to her home the curate promised to comply with his request carefully and they embraced once more and renewed their promises the landlord approached the curate and handed him some papers saying he had discovered them in the lining of the valise in which the novel of the ill-advised curiosity had been found and that he might take them all away with him as their owner had not since returned for as he could not read he did not want them himself the curate thanked him and opening them he saw at the beginning of the manuscript the words novel of rinconete in cortadillo by which he perceived that it was a novel and as that of the ill-advised curiosity had been good he concluded this would be so too as they were both probably by the same author so he kept it intending to read it when he had an opportunity he then mounted and his friend the barber did the same both masked so as not to be recognized by don quixote and set out following in the rear of the cart the order of march was this first went the cart with the owner leading it at each side of it marched the officers of the brotherhood as has been said with their muskets then followed sancho panza on his ass leading rocinante by the bridle and behind all came the curate and the barber on their mighty mules with faces covered as aforesaid and a grave and serious air measuring their pace to suit the slow steps of the oxen don quixote was seated in the cage with his hands tied and his feet stretched out leaning against the bars as silent and as patient as if he were a stone statue and not a man of flesh thus slowly and silently they made it might be two leagues until they reached a valley which the carter thought a convenient place for resting and feeding his oxen and he said so to the curate but the barber was of opinion that they ought to push on a little farther as at the other side of a hill which appeared close by he knew there was a valley that had more grass and much better than the one where they proposed to halt and his advice was taken and they continued their journey just at that moment the curate looking back 
saw coming on behind them six or seven mounted men well found and equipped who soon overtook them for they were travelling not at the sluggish deliberate pace of oxen but like men who rode cannons mules and in haste to take their noontide rest as soon as possible at the inn which was in sight not a league off the quick travellers came up with the slow and courteous salutations were exchanged and one of the newcomers who was in fact a canon of toledo and master of the others who accompanied him observing the regular order of the procession the cart the officers sancho rocinante the curate and the barber and above all don quixote caged and confined could not help asking what was the meaning of carrying the man in that fashion though from the badges of the officers he already concluded that he must be some desperate highwayman or other malefactor whose punishment fell within the jurisdiction of the holy brotherhood one of the officers to whom he had put the question replied let the gentleman himself tell you the meaning of his going this way senor for we do not know don quixote overheard the conversation and said happily gentlemen you are versed and learned in matters of chivalry because if you are i will tell you my misfortunes if not there is no good in my giving myself the trouble of relating them but here the curate and the barber seeing that the travellers were engaged in conversation with don quixote came forward in order to answer in such a way as to save their stratagem from being discovered the canon replying to don quixote said in truth brother i know more about books of chivalry than i do about Villalpando's elements of logic so if that be all you may safely tell me what you please in god's name then senor replied don quixote if that be so i would have you know that i am held enchanted in this cage by the envy and fraud of wicked enchanters for virtue is more persecuted by the wicked than loved by the good i am a knight-errant and not one of those whose names fame has never thought of immortalizing in her record but of those who in defiance and in spite of envy itself and all the magicians that persia or brahmins that india or gymnosophists that ethiopia ever produced will place their names in the temple of immortality to serve as examples and patterns for ages to come whereby knights-errant may see the footsteps in which they must tread if they would attain the summit and crowning point of honour in arms what senor don quixote of la mancha says observed the curate is the truth for he goes enchanted in this cart not from any fault or sins of his but because of the malevolence of those to whom virtue is odious and valour hateful this senor is the knight of the rueful countenance if you have ever heard him named whose valiant achievements and mighty deeds shall be written on lasting brass in imperishable marble notwithstanding all the efforts of envy to obscure them and malice to hide them when the canon heard both the prisoner and the man who was at liberty talk in such a strain he was ready to cross himself in his astonishment and could not make out what had befallen him and all his attendants were in the same state of amazement at this point sancho panza who had drawn near to hear the conversation said in order to make everything plain well sirs you may like or dislike what i am going to say but the fact of the matter is my master don quixote is just as much enchanted as my mother he is in his full senses he eats and he drinks and he has his calls like other men and as he had yesterday before they caged him and if that's the case what do they mean by wanting me to believe that he is enchanted for i have heard many a one say that enchanted people neither eat nor sleep nor talk and my master if you don't stop him will talk more than thirty lawyers then turning to the curate he exclaimed and senor curate 
senor curate do you think i don't know you do you think i don't guess and see the drift of these new enchantments well then i can tell you i know you for all your face is covered and i can tell you i am up to you however you may hide your tricks after all where envy reigns virtue cannot live and where there is niggardliness there can be no liberality ill betide the devil if it had not been for your worship my master would be married to the princess micomicona this minute and i should be a count at least for no less was to be expected as well from the goodness of my master him of the rueful countenance as from the greatness of my services but i see now how true it is what they say in these parts that the wheel of fortune turns faster than a mill-wheel and that those who were up yesterday are down to-day i am sorry for my wife and children for when they might fairly and reasonably expect to see their father return to them a governor or viceroy of some island or kingdom they will see him come back a horse-boy i have said all this senor curate only to urge your paternity to lay to your conscience your ill-treatment of my master and have a care that god does not call you to account in another life for making a prisoner of him in this way and charge against you all the suckers and good deeds that my lord don quixote leaves undone while he is shut up trim those lamps there exclaimed the barber at this so you are of the same fraternity as your master too sancho by god i begin to see that you will have to keep him company in the cage and be enchanted like him for having caught some of his humour and chivalry it was an evil hour when you let yourself be got with child by his promises and that island you longed so much for found its way into your head i am not with child by any one returned sancho nor am i a man to let myself be got with child if it was by the king himself though i am poor i am an old christian and i owe nothing to nobody and if i long for an island other people long for worse each of us is the son of his own works and being a man i may come to be pope not to say governor of an island especially as my master may win so many that he will not know whom to give them to mind how you talk master barber for shaving is not everything and there is some difference between peter and peter i say this because we all know one another and it will not do to throw false dice with me and as to the enchantment of my master god knows the truth leave it as it is it will only make it worse to stir it the barber did not care to answer sancho lest by his plain speaking he should disclose what the curate and he himself were trying so hard to conceal and under the same apprehension the curate had asked the canon to ride on a little in advance so that he might tell him the mystery of this man in the cage and other things that would amuse him the canon agreed and going on ahead with his servants listened with attention to the account of the character life madness and ways of don quixote given him by the curate who described to him briefly the beginning and origin of his craze and told him the whole story of his adventures up to his being confined in the cage together with a plan they had of taking him home to try if by any means they could discover a cure for his madness the canon and his servants were surprised anew when they heard don quixote's strange story and when it was finished he said to tell you the truth senor curate i for my part consider what they call books of chivalry to be mischievous to the state and though led by idle and false taste i have read the beginnings of almost all that have been printed i never could manage to read any one of them from beginning to end for it seems to me they are all more or less the same thing and one has nothing more in it than another this no more than that and in my opinion this sort of writing and composition is of the same species as the fables they call the milesian 
nonsensical tales that aim solely at giving amusement and not instruction exactly the opposite of the apologue fables which amuse and instruct at the same time and though it may be the chief object of such books to amuse i do not know how they can succeed when they are so full of such monstrous nonsense for the enjoyment the mind feels must come from the beauty and harmony which it perceives or contemplates in the things that the eye or the imagination brings before it and nothing that has any ugliness or disproportion about it can give any pleasure what beauty then or what proportion of the parts to the whole or of the whole to the parts can there be in a book or fable where a lad of sixteen cuts down a giant as tall as a tower and makes two halves of him as if he was an almond cake and when they want to give us a picture of a battle after having told us that there are a million of combatants on the side of the enemy let the hero of the book be opposed to them and we have perforce to believe whether we like it or not that the said knight wins the victory by the single might of his strong arm and then what shall we say of the facility with which a born queen or empress will give herself over into the arms of some unknown wandering knight what mind that is not wholly barbarous and uncultured can find pleasure in reading of how a great tower full of knights sails away across the sea like a ship with a fair wind and will be to-night in lombardy and to-morrow morning in the land of prester john of the indies or some other that ptolemy never described nor marco polo saw and if in answer to this i am told that the authors of books of the kind write them as fiction and therefore are not bound to regard niceties of truth i would reply that fiction is all the better the more it looks like truth and gives the more pleasure the more probability and possibility there is about it plots and fiction should be wedded to the understanding of the reader and be constructed in such a way that reconciling impossibilities smoothing over difficulties keeping the mind on the alert they may surprise interest divert and entertain so that wonder and delight joined may keep pace one with the other all which he will fail to effect who shuns verisimilitude and truth to nature wherein lies the perfection of writing i have never seen yet any book of chivalry that puts together a connected plot complete in all its numbers so that the middle agrees with the beginning and the end with the beginning and middle on the contrary they construct them with such a multitude of members that it seems as though they meant to produce a chimera or monster rather than a well-proportioned figure and besides all this they are harsh in their style incredible in their achievements licentious in their amours uncouth in their courtly speeches prolix in their battles silly in their arguments absurd in their travels and in short wanting in everything like intelligent art for which reason they deserve to be banished from the christian commonwealth as a worthless breed the curate listened to him attentively and felt that he was a man of sound understanding and that there was good reason in what he said so he told him that being of the same opinion himself and bearing a grudge to books of chivalry he had burned all don quixotes which were many and gave him an account of the scrutiny he had made of them and of those he had condemned to the flames and those he had spared with which the canon was not a little amused adding that though he had said so much in condemnation of these books still he found one good thing in them and that was the opportunity they afforded to a gifted intellect for displaying itself for they presented a wide and spacious field over which the pen might range freely describing shipwrecks tempests combats battles portraying a valiant captain with all the qualifications requisite to make one showing him sagacious in foreseeing the wiles of the enemy 
eloquent in speech to encourage or restrain his soldiers ripe in counsel rapid in resolve as bold in biding his time as in pressing the attack now picturing some sad tragic incident now some joyful and unexpected event here a beauteous lady virtuous wise and modest there a christian knight brave and gentle here a lawless barbarous braggart there a courteous prince gallant and gracious setting forth the devotion and loyalty of vassals the greatness and generosity of nobles or again said he the author may show himself to be an astronomer or a skilled cosmographer or musician or one versed in affairs of state and sometimes he will have a chance of coming forward as a magician if he likes he can set forth the craftiness of ulysses the piety of aeneas the valour of achilles the misfortunes of hector the treachery of sinon the friendship of euryalus the generosity of alexander the boldness of caesar the clemency and truth of trajan the fidelity of zopyrus the wisdom of cato and in short all the faculties that serve to make an illustrious man perfect now uniting them in one individual again distributing them among many and if this be done with charm of style and ingenious invention aiming at the truth as much as possible he will assuredly weave a web of bright and varied threads that when finished will display such perfection and beauty that it will attain the worthiest object any writing can seek which as i said before is to give instruction and pleasure combined for the unrestricted range of these books enables the author to show his powers epic lyric tragic or comic in all the moods the sweet and winning arts of poesy and oratory are capable of for the epic may be written in prose just as well as in verse end of volume one part one chapter forty seven recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty eight of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty eight in which the canon pursues the subject of the books of chivalry with other matters worthy of his wit it is as you say senor canon said the curate and for that reason those who have hitherto written books of the sort deserve all the more censure for writing without paying any attention to good taste or to the rules of art by which they might guide themselves and become as famous in prose as the two princes of greek and latin poetry are in verse i myself at any rate said the canon was once tempted to write a book of chivalry in which all the points i have mentioned were to be observed and if i must own the truth i had more than a hundred sheets written and to try if it came up to my own opinion of it i showed them to persons who were fond of this kind of reading to learned and intelligent men as well as to ignorant people who cared for nothing but the pleasure of listening to nonsense and from all i obtained flattering approval nevertheless i proceeded no further with it as well because it seemed to me an occupation inconsistent with my profession as because i perceived that the fools are more numerous than the wise and though it is better to be praised by the wise few than applauded by the foolish many i have no mind to submit myself to the stupid judgment of the silly public to whom the reading of such books falls for the most purpose but what most of all made me hold my hand and even abandon all idea of finishing it was an argument i put to myself 
taken from the plays that are acted nowadays, which was in this wise. If those that are now in vogue, as well those that are pure invention, as those founded on history, are, all or most of them, downright nonsense and things that have neither head nor tail, and yet the public listens to them with delight, and regards and cries them up as perfection when they are so far from it. And if the authors who write them and the players who act them say that this is what they must be, for the public wants this and will have nothing else, and that those that go by rule and work out a plot according to the laws of art will only find some half-dozen intelligent people to understand them, while all the rest remain blind to the merit of their composition, and that for themselves it is better to get bread from the many than praise from the few, then my book will fare the same way after i have burnt off my eyebrows in trying to observe the principles i have spoken of and i shall be the tailor of el campillo and though i have sometimes endeavoured to convince actors that they are mistaken in this notion they have adopted and that they would attract more people and get more credit by producing plays in accordance with the rules of art than by absurd ones they are so thoroughly wedded to their own opinion that no argument or evidence can wean them from it i remember saying one day to one of these obstinate fellows tell me do you not recollect that a few years ago there were three tragedies acted in spain written by a famous poet of these kingdoms which were such that they filled all who heard them with admiration delight and interest the ignorant as well as the wise the masses as well as the higher orders and brought in more money to the performers these three alone than thirty of the best that have been since produced no doubt replied the actor in question you mean the isabella the phyllis and the alexandra those are the ones i mean said i and see if they did not observe the principles of art and if by observing them they failed to show their superiority and please all the world so that the fault does not lie with the public that insists upon nonsense but with those who don't know how to produce something else the ingratitude revenged was not nonsense nor was there any in the Numantia, nor any to be found in the Merchant Lover, nor yet in the Friendly Fair Foe, nor in some others that have been written by certain gifted poets, to their own fame and renown, and to the profit of those that brought them out. Some further remarks I added to these, with which, I think, I left him rather dumbfoundered, but not so satisfied or convinced that I could disabuse him of his error. You have touched upon a subject, Signor Canon, observed the curate here, that has awakened an old enmity i have against the plays in vogue at the present day quite as strong as that which i bear to the books of chivalry for while the drama according to tully should be the mirror of human life the model of manners and the image of the truth those which are presented nowadays are mirrors of nonsense models of folly and images of lewdness for what greater nonsense can there be in connection with what we are now discussing than for an infant to appear in swaddling clothes in the first scene of the first act and in the second a grown-up bearded man or what greater absurdity can there be than putting before us an old man as a swashbuckler a young man as a poltroon a lackey using fine language a page giving sage advice a king plying as a porter a princess who is a kitchen-maid and then what shall i say of their attention to the time in which the action they represent may or can take place save that i have seen a play where the first act began in europe the second in asia the third finished in africa and no doubt had it been in four acts the fourth would have ended in america and so it would have been laid in all four quarters of the globe and if truth to life is the main thing the drama should keep in view 
how is it possible for any average understanding to be satisfied when the action is supposed to pass in the time of king pepin or charlemagne and the principal personage in it they represent to be the emperor heraclius who entered jerusalem with the cross and won the holy sepulchre like godfrey of bouillon there being years innumerable between the one and the other or if the play is based on fiction and historical facts are introduced or bits of what occurred to different people and at different times mixed up with it all not only without any semblance of probability but with obvious errors that from every point of view are inexcusable and the worst of it is there are ignorant people who say that this is perfection and that anything beyond this is affected refinement and then if we turn to sacred dramas what miracles they invent in them what apocryphal ill-devised incidents attributing to one saint the miracles of another and even in secular plays they venture to introduce miracles without any reason or object except that they think some such miracle or transformation as they call it will come in well to astonish stupid people and draw them to the play all this tends to the prejudice of the truth and the corruption of history nay more to the reproach of the wits of spain for foreigners who scrupulously observe the laws of the drama look upon us as barbarous and ignorant when they see the absurdity and nonsense of the plays we produce nor will it be a sufficient excuse to say that the chief object well-ordered governments have in view when they permit plays to be performed in public is to entertain the people with some harmless amusement occasionally and keep it from those evil humours which idleness is apt to engender and that as this may be attained by any sort of play good or bad there is no need to lay down laws or bind those who write or act them to make them as they ought to be made since as i say the object sought for may be secured by any sort to this i would reply that the same end would be beyond all comparison better attained by means of good plays than by those that are not so for after listening to an artistic and properly constructed play the hearer will come away enlivened by the jests instructed by the serious parts full of admiration at the incidents his wits sharpened by the arguments warned by the tricks all the wiser for the examples inflamed against vice and in love with virtue for in all these ways a good play will stimulate the mind of the hearer be he ever so boorish or dull and of all impossibilities the greatest is that a play endowed with all these qualities will not entertain satisfy and please much more than one wanting in them like the greater number of those which are commonly acted nowadays nor are the poets who write them to be blamed for this for some there are among them who are perfectly well aware of their faults and know thoroughly what they ought to do but as plays have become a saleable commodity they say and with truth that the actors will not buy them unless they are after this fashion and so the poet tries to adapt himself to the requirements of the actor who is to pay him for his work and that this is the truth may be seen by the countless plays that a most fertile wit of these kingdoms has written with so much brilliancy so much grace and gaiety such polished versification such choice language such profound reflections and in a word so rich in eloquence and elevation of style that he has filled the world with his fame and yet in consequence of his desire to suit the taste of the actors they have not all as some of them have come as near perfection as they ought others write plays with such heedlessness 
that after they have been acted the actors have to fly and abscond afraid of being punished as they often have been for having acted something offensive to some king or other or insulting to some noble family all which evils and many more that i say nothing of would be removed if there were some intelligent and sensible person at the capital to examine all plays before they were acted not only those produced in the capital itself but all that were intended to be acted in spain without whose approval seal and signature no local magistracy should allow any play to be acted in that case actors would take care to send their plays to the capital and could act them in safety and those who write them would be more careful and take more pains with their work standing in awe of having to submit it to the strict examination of one who understood the matter and so good plays would be produced and the objects they aim at happily attained as well the amusement of the people as the credit of the wits of spain the interest and safety of the actors and the saving of trouble in inflicting punishment on them and if the same or some other person were authorized to examine the newly written books of chivalry no doubt some would appear with all the perfections you have described enriching our language with the gracious and precious treasure of eloquence and driving the old books into obscurity before the light of the new ones that would come out for the harmless entertainment not merely of the idle but of the very busiest for the bow cannot be always bent nor can weak human nature exist without some lawful amusement the canon and the curate had proceeded thus far with their conversation when the barber coming forward joined them and said to the curate this is the spot senor licentiate that i said was a good one for fresh and plentiful pasture for the oxen while we take our noontide rest and so it seems returned the curate and he told the canon what he proposed to do on which he too made up his mind to halt with them attracted by the aspect of the fair valley that lay before their eyes and to enjoy it as well as the conversation of the curate to whom he had begun to take a fancy and also to learn more particulars about the doings of don quixote he desired some of his servants to go on to the inn which was not far distant and fetch from it what eatables there might be for the whole party as he meant to rest for the afternoon where he was to which one of his servants replied that the sumpter mule which by this time ought to have reached the inn carried provisions enough to make it unnecessary to get anything from the inn except barley in that case said the canon take all the beasts there and make the sumpter mule come back while this was going on sancho perceiving that he could speak to his master without having the curate and the barber of whom he had his suspicions present all the time approached the cage in which don quixote was placed and said senor to ease my conscience i want to tell you the state of the case as to your enchantment and that is that these two here with their faces covered are the curate of our village and the barber and i suspect they have hit upon this plan of carrying you off in this fashion out of pure envy because your worship surpasses them in doing famous deeds and if this be the truth it follows that you were not enchanted but hoodwinked and made a fool of and to prove this i want to ask you one thing and if you answer me as i believe you will answer you will be able to lay your finger on the trick and you will see that you were not enchanted but gone wrong in your wits ask what thou wilt sancho my son returned don quixote for i will satisfy thee and answer all thou requirest as to what thou sayest that these who accompany us yonder are the curate and the barber our neighbors and acquaintances it is very possible that they may seem to be those same persons but that they are so in reality and in fact believe it not on any account 
what thou art to believe and think is that if they look like them as thou sayest it must be that those who have enchanted me have taken this shape and likeness for it is easy for enchanters to take any form they please and they may have taken those of our friends in order to make thee think as thou dost and lead thee into a labyrinth of fancies from which thou wilt find no escape though thou hadst the court of theseus and they may also have done it to make me uncertain in my mind and unable to conjecture whence this evil comes to me for if on the one hand thou dost tell me that the barber and curate of our village are here in company with us and on the other i find myself shut up in a cage and know in my heart that no power on earth that was not supernatural would have been able to shut me in what wouldst thou have me say or think but that my enchantment is of a sort that transcends all i have ever read of in all the histories that deal with knights errant that have been enchanted so thou mayst set thy mind at rest as to the idea that they are what thou sayest for they are as much so as i am a turk but touching thy desire to ask me something say on and i will answer thee though thou shouldst ask questions from this till to-morrow morning may our lady be good to me said sancho lifting up his voice and is it possible that your worship is so thick of skull and so short of brains that you cannot see that what i say is the simple truth and that malice has more to do with your imprisonment and misfortune than enchantment but as it is so i will prove plainly to you that you are not enchanted now tell me so may god deliver you from this affliction and so may you find yourself when you least expect it in the arms of my lady dulcinea leave off conjuring me said don quixote and ask what thou wouldst know i have already told thee i will answer with all possible precision that is what i want said sancho and what i would know and have you tell me without adding or leaving out anything but telling the whole truth as one expects it to be told and as it is told by all who profess arms as your worship professes them under the title of knights-errant i tell thee i will not lie in any particular said don quixote finish thy question for in truth thou weariest me with all these asseverations requirements and precautions sancho well i rely on the goodness and truth of my master said sancho and so because it bears upon what we are talking about i would ask speaking with all reverence whether since your worship has been shut up and as you think enchanted in this cage you have felt any desire or inclination to go anywhere as the saying is i do not understand going anywhere said don quixote explain thyself more clearly sancho if thou wouldst have me give an answer to the point is it possible said sancho that your worship does not understand going anywhere why the schoolboys know that from the time they were babes well then you must know i mean have you had any desire to do what cannot be avoided ah now i understand thee sancho said don quixote yes often and even this minute get me out of this strait or all will not go right end of volume one part one chapter forty eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty nine of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one 
chapter forty nine which treats of the shrewd conversation which sancho panza held with his master don quixote aha i have caught you said sancho this is what in my heart and soul i was longing to know come now senor can you deny what is commonly said around us when a person is out of humour i don't know what ails so-and-so that he neither eats nor drinks nor sleeps nor gives a proper answer to any question one would think he was enchanted from which it is to be gathered that those who do not eat or drink or sleep or do any of the natural acts i am speaking of that such persons are enchanted but not those that have the desire your worship has and drink when drink is given them and eat when there is anything to eat and answer every question that is asked them what thou sayest is true sancho replied don quixote but i have already told thee there are many sorts of enchantments and it may be that in the course of time they have been changed one for another and that now it may be the way with enchanted people to do all that i do though they did not do so before so it is vain to argue or draw inferences against the usage of the time i know and feel that i am enchanted and that is enough to ease my conscience for it would weigh heavily on it if i thought that i was not enchanted and that in a faint-hearted and cowardly way i allowed myself to lie in this cage defrauding multitudes of the succour i might afford to those in need and distress who at this very moment may be in sore want of my aid and protection still for all that replied sancho i say that for your greater and fuller satisfaction it would be well if your worship were to try to get out of this prison and i promise to do all in my power to help and even to take you out of it and see if you could once more mount your good rocinante who seems to be enchanted too he is so melancholy and dejected and then we might try our chance in looking for adventures again and if we have no luck there will be time enough to go back to the cage in which on the faith of a good and loyal squire i promise to shut myself up along with your worship if so be you are so unfortunate or i so stupid as not to be able to carry out my plan i am content to do as thou sayest brother sancho said don quixote and when thou seest an opportunity for effecting my release i will obey thee absolutely but thou wilt see sancho how mistaken thou art in thy conception of my misfortune the knight-errant and the ill-errant squire kept up their conversation till they reached the place where the curate the canon and the barber who had already dismounted were waiting for them the carter at once unyoked the oxen and left them to roam at large about the pleasant green spot the freshness of which seemed to invite not enchanted people like don quixote but wide-awake sensible folk like his squire who begged the curate to allow his master to leave the cage for a little for if they did not let him out the prison might not be as clean as the propriety of such a gentleman as his master required the curate understood him and said he would very gladly comply with his request only that he feared his master finding himself at liberty would take to his old courses and make off where nobody could ever find him again i will answer for his not running away said sancho and i for everything said the canon especially if he gives me his word as a knight not to leave us without our consent don quixote who was listening to all this said he would give it and that moreover one who was enchanted as he was could not do as he liked with himself for he who had enchanted him could prevent his moving from one place for three ages and if he attempted to escape would bring him back flying 
and that being so they might as well release him particularly as it would be to the advantage of all for if they did not let him out he protested he would be unable to avoid offending their nostrils unless they kept their distance the canon took his hand tied together as they both were and on his word and promise they unbound him and rejoiced beyond measure he was to find himself out of the cage the first thing he did was to stretch himself all over and then he went to where rocinante was standing and giving him a couple of slaps on the haunches said i still trust in god and in his blessed mother o flower and mirror of steeds that we shall soon see ourselves both of us as we wish to be thou with thy master on thy back and i mounted upon thee following the calling for which god sent me into the world and so saying accompanied by sancho he withdrew to a retired spot from which he came back much relieved and more eager than ever to put his squire's scheme into execution the canon gazed at him wondering at the extraordinary nature of his madness and that in all his remarks and replies he should show such excellent sense and only lose his stirrups as has been already said when the subject of chivalry was broached and so moved by compassion he said to him as they all sat on the green grass awaiting the arrival of the provisions is it possible gentle sir that the nauseous and idle reading of books of chivalry can have had such an effect on your worship as to upset your reason so that you fancy yourself enchanted and the like all as far from the truth as falsehood itself is how can there be any human understanding that can persuade itself there ever was all that infinity of amadises in the world or all that multitude of famous knights all those emperors of trebizond all those felix martes of hircania all those palfreys and damsels errant and serpents and monsters and giants and marvellous adventure and enchantments of every kind and battles and prodigious encounters splendid costumes lovesick princesses squires made counts droll dwarfs love-letters billings and cooings swashbuckler women and in a word all that nonsense the books of chivalry contain for myself i can only say that when i read them so long as i do not stop to think that they are all lies and frivolity they give me a certain amount of pleasure but when i come to consider what they are i fling the very best of them at the wall and would fling it into the fire if there were one at hand as richly deserving such punishment as cheats and impostors out of the range of ordinary toleration and as founders of new sects and modes of life and teachers that lead the ignorant public to believe and accept as truth all the folly they contain and such is their audacity they even dare to unsettle the wits of gentlemen of birth and intelligence as is shown plainly by the way they have served your worship when they have brought you to such a pass that you have to be shut up in a cage and carried on an ox-cart as one would carry a lion or a tiger from place to place to make money by showing it come senor don quixote have some compassion for yourself return to the bosom of common sense and make use of the liberal share of it that heaven has been pleased to bestow upon you employing your abundant gifts of mind in some other reading that may serve to benefit your conscience and add to your honour and if still led away by your natural bent you desire to read books of achievements and of chivalry read the book of judges and the holy scriptures for there you will find grand reality and deeds as true as they are heroic lusitania had a veriatus rome a caesar carthage a hannibal greece an alexander castile a count fernand gonzales valencia a cid 
andalusia a gonzalez fernandez estremadura a toledo a garcilaso seville a don manuel de leon to read of all whose valiant deeds will entertain and instruct the loftiest minds and fill them with delight and wonder here senor don quixote will be reading worthy of your sound understanding from which you will rise learned in history in love with virtue strengthened in goodness improved in manners brave without rashness prudent without cowardice and all to the honour of god your own advantage and the glory of la mancha where i am informed your worship derives your birth and origin don quixote listened with the greatest attention to the canon's words and when he found he had finished after regarding him for some time he replied to him it appears to me gentle sir that your worship's discourse is intended to persuade me that there never were any knights errant in the world and that all the books of chivalry are false lying mischievous and useless to the state and that i have done wrong in reading them and worse in believing them and still worse in imitating them when i undertook to follow the arduous calling of knight-errantry which they set forth for you deny that there ever were amadises of gaul or of greece or any other of the knights of whom the books are full it is all exactly as you state it said the canon to which don quixote returned you also went on to say that books of this kind had done me much harm inasmuch as they had upset my senses and shut me up in a cage and that it would be better for me to reform and change my studies and read other truer books which would afford more pleasure and instruction just so said the canon well then returned don quixote to my mind it is you who are the one that is out of his wits and enchanted as you have ventured to utter such blasphemies against a thing so universally acknowledged and accepted as true that whoever denies it as you do deserves the same punishment which you say you inflict on the books that irritate you when you read them for to try to persuade anybody that amadis and all the other knights adventurers with whom the books are filled never existed would be like trying to persuade him that the sun does not yield light or ice cold or earth nourishment what wit in the world can persuade another that the story of the princess floripes and guy of burgundy is not true or that of fierabras and the bridge of montibol which happened in the time of charlemagne for by all that is good it is as true as that it is daylight now and if it be a lie it must be a lie too that there was a hector or achilles or trojan war or twelve peers of france or arthur of england who still lives changed into a raven and is unceasingly looked for in his kingdom one might just as well try to make out that the history of garino mespino or of the quest of the holy grail is false or that the loves of tristram and the queen isolt are apocryphal as well of those of guinevere and lancelot when there are persons who can almost remember having seen the dame quintanona who was the best cup-bearer in great britain and so true is this that i recollect a grandmother of mine on the father's side whenever she saw any dame in a venerable hood used to say to me grandson that one is like dame quintanona from which i conclude that she must have known her or at least had managed to see some portrait of her then who can deny that the story of pierre's and the fair magdalona is true when even to this day may be seen in the king's armoury the pin with which the valiant pierre's guided the wooden horse he rode through the air and it is a trifle bigger than the pole of a cart and alongside of the pin is babieca's saddle and at roncesvalles there is roland's horn as large as a large beam 
whence we may infer that there were twelve peers and a pierres and a cid and other knights like them of the sort people commonly call adventurers or perhaps i shall be told too that there were no such knight-errant as the valiant lusitanian juan de merlo who went to burgundy and in the city of arras fought with the famous lord of charny mosen peers by name and afterwards in the city of basel with mosen enrique de remenstan coming out of both encounters covered with fame and honour or adventures and challenges achieved and delivered also in burgundy by the valiant spaniards pedro barba and gutierre quijada of whose family i come in the direct male line when they vanquished the sons of the count of san polo i shall be told too that don fernando de guevara did not go in quest of adventures to germany where he engaged in combat with Messer george a knight of the house of the duke of austria i shall be told that the jousts of suero de quinones him of the paso and the emprise of mosen luis de falses against the castilian knight don gonzalo de guzman were mere mockeries as well as many other achievements of christian knights of these and foreign realms which are so authentic and true that i repeat he who denies them must be totally wanting in reason and good sense the canon was amazed to hear the medley of truth and fiction don quixote uttered and to see how well acquainted he was with everything relating or belonging to the achievements of his knight-errantry so he said in reply i cannot deny senor don quixote that there is some truth in what you say especially as regards the spanish knights-errant and i am willing to grant too that the twelve peers of france existed but i am not disposed to believe that they did all the things that the archbishop turpin relates of them for the truth of the matter is they were knights chosen by the kings of france and called peers because they were all equal in worth rank and prowess at least if they were not they ought to have been and it was a kind of religious order like those of santiago and calatrava in the present day in which it is assumed that those who take it are valiant knights of distinction and good birth and just as we say now a knight of st john or of alcantara they used to say then a knight of the twelve peers because twelve equals were chosen for the military order that there was a cid as well as a bernardo del carpio there can be no doubt but that they did the deeds people say they did i hold to be very doubtful in that other matter of the pin of count pierre's that you speak of and say is near babieca's saddle in the armory i confess my sin for i am either so stupid or so short-sighted that though i have seen the saddle i have never been able to see the pin in spite of it being as big as your worship says it is for all that it is there without any manner of doubt said don quixote and more by token they say it is enclosed in a sheath of cowhide to keep it from rusting all that may be replied the canon but by the orders i have received i do not remember seeing it however granting it is there that is no reason why i am bound to believe the stories of all those amadises and of all that multitude of knights they tell us about nor is it reasonable that a man like your worship so worthy and with so many good qualities and endowed with such a good understanding should allow himself to be persuaded that such wild crazy things as are written in those absurd books of chivalry are really true end of volume one part one chapter forty nine recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter fifty 
of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter fifty of the shrewd controversy which don quixote and the canon held together with other incidents a good joke that returned don quixote books that have been printed with the king's license and with the approbation of those to whom they have been submitted and read with universal delight and extolled by great and small rich and poor learned and ignorant gentle and simple in a word by people of every sort of whatever rank or condition they may be that these should be lies and above all when they carry such an appearance of truth with them for they tell us the father mother country kindred age place and the achievements step by step and day by day performed by such and such a knight or knights hush sir utter not such blasphemy trust me i am advising you now to act as a sensible man should only read them and you will see the pleasure you will derive from them for come tell me can there be anything more delightful than to see as it were here now displayed before us a vast lake of bubbling pitch with a host of snakes and serpents and lizards and ferocious and terrible creatures of all sorts swimming about in it while from the middle of the lake there comes a plaintive voice saying knight whosoever thou art who beholdest this dread lake if thou wouldst win the prize that lies hidden beneath these dusky waves prove the valour of thy stout heart and cast thyself into the midst of its dark burning waters else thou shalt not be worthy to see the mighty wonders contained in the seven castles of the seven fays that lie beneath this black expanse and then the knight almost ere the awful voice has ceased without stopping to consider without pausing to reflect upon the danger to which he is exposing himself without even relieving himself of the weight of his massive armour commending himself to god and to his lady plunges into the mist of the boiling lake and when he little looks for it or knows what his fate is to be he finds himself among flowery meadows with which the elysian fields are not to be compared the sky seems more transparent there and the sun shines with a strange brilliancy and a delightful grove of green leafy trees presents itself to the eyes and charms the sight with its verdure while the ear is soothed by the sweet untutored melody of the countless birds of gay plumage that flit to and fro among the interlacing branches here he sees a brook whose limpid waters like liquid crystal ripple over fine sands and white pebbles that look like sifted gold and purest pearls there he perceives a cunningly wrought fountain of many-coloured jasper and polished marble here another of rustic fashion where the little mussel shells and the spiral white and yellow mansions of the snail disposed in studious disorder mingled with fragments of glittering crystal and mock emeralds make up a work of varied aspect where art imitating nature seems to have outdone it suddenly there is presented to his sight a strong castle or gorgeous palace with walls of massy gold turrets of diamond and gates of jacinth in short so marvellous is its structure that though the materials of which it is built are nothing less than diamonds carbuncles rubies pearls gold and emeralds the workmanship is still more rare 
and after having seen all this what can be more charming than to see how a bevy of damsels comes forth from the gate of the castle in gay and gorgeous attire such that were i to set myself now to depict it as the histories describe it to us i should never have done and then how she who seems to be the first among them all takes the bold knight who plunged into the boiling lake by the hand and without addressing a word to him leads him into the rich palace or castle and strips him as naked as when his mother bore him and bathes him in lukewarm water and anoints him all over with sweet-smelling unguents and clothes him in a shirt of the softest sendal all scented and perfumed while another damsel comes and throws over his shoulders a mantle which is said to be worth at the very least a city and even more how charming it is then when they tell us how after all this they lead him to another chamber where he finds the table set out in such style that he is filled with amazement and wonder to see how they pour out water for his hands distilled from amber and sweet-scented flowers how they seat him on an ivory chair to see how the damsels wait on him all in profound silence how they bring him such a variety of dainties so temptingly prepared that the appetite is at a loss which to select to hear the music that resounds while he is at table by whom or whence produced he knows not and then when the repast is over and the tables removed for the knight to recline in the chair picking his teeth perhaps as usual and a damsel much lovelier than any of the others to enter unexpectedly by the chamber door and seat herself by his side and begin to tell him what the castle is and how she is held enchanted there and other things that amaze the knight and astonish the readers who are perusing his history but i will not expatiate any further upon this as it may be gathered from it that whatever part of whatever history of a knight-errant one reads it will fill the reader whoever he be with delight and wonder and take my advice sir and as i said before read these books and you will see how they will banish any melancholy you may feel and raise your spirits should they be depressed for myself i can say that since i have been a knight-errant i have become valiant polite generous well-bred magnanimous courteous dauntless gentle patient and have learned to bear hardships imprisonments and enchantments and though it be such a short time since i have seen myself shut up in a cage like a madman i hope by the might of my arm if heaven aid me and fortune thwart me not to see myself king of some kingdom where i may be able to show the gratitude and generosity that dwell in my heart for by my faith senor the poor man is incapacitated from showing the virtue of generosity to any one though he may possess it in the highest degree and gratitude that consists of disposition only is a dead thing just as faith without works is dead for this reason i should be glad were fortune soon to offer me some opportunity of making myself an emperor so as to show my heart in doing good to my friends particularly to this poor sancho panza my squire who is the best fellow in the world and i would gladly give him a county i have promised him this ever so long only that i am afraid he has not the capacity to govern his realm sancho partly heard these last words of his master and said to him strive hard you senor don quixote to give me that county so often promised by you and so long looked for by me for i promise you there will be no want of capacity in me to govern it and even if there is i have heard say there are men in the world who farm signories paying so much a year 
and they themselves taking charge of the government while the lord with his legs stretched out enjoys the revenue they pay him without troubling himself about anything else that's what i'll do and not stand haggling over trifles but wash my hands at once of the whole business and enjoy my rents like a duke and let things go their own way that brother sancho said the canon only holds good so far as the enjoyment of the revenue goes but the lord of the seigneury must attend to the administration of justice and here capacity and sound judgment come in and above all a firm determination to find out the truth for if this be wanting in the beginning the middle and the end will always go wrong and god as commonly aids the honest intentions of the simple as he frustrates the evil designs of the crafty i don't understand those philosophies returned sancho panza all i know is i would i had the county as soon as i shall know how to govern it for i have as much soul as another and as much body as any one and i shall be as much king of my realm as any other of his and being so i should do as i liked and doing as i liked i should please myself and pleasing myself i should be content and when one is content he has nothing more to desire and when one has nothing more to desire there is an end of it so let the county come and god be with you and let us see one another as one blind man said to the other that is not bad philosophy thou art talking sancho said the canon but for all that there is a good deal to be said on this matter of counties to which don quixote returned i know not what more there is to be said i only guide myself by the example set me by the great amadis of gaul when he made his squire count of the insula firme and so without any scruples of conscience i can make a count of sancho panza for he is one of the best squires that ever knight-errant had the canon was astonished at the methodical nonsense if nonsense be capable of method that don quixote uttered at the way in which he had described the adventure of the knight of the lake at the impression that the deliberate lies of the books he read had made upon him and lastly he marvelled at the simplicity of sancho who desired so eagerly to obtain the county his master had promised him by this time the canon's servants who had gone to the inn to fetch the sumpter mule had returned and making a carpet in the green grass of the meadow serve as a table they seated themselves in the shade of some trees and made their repast there that the carter might not be deprived of the advantage of the spot as has been already said as they were eating they suddenly heard a loud noise and the sound of a bell that seemed to come from among some brambles and thick bushes that were close by in the same instant they observed a beautiful goat spotted all over black white and brown spring out of the thicket with a goatherd after it calling to it and uttering the usual cries to make it stop or turn back to the fold the fugitive goat scared and frightened ran towards the company as if seeking their protection and then stood still and the goatherd coming up seized it by the horns and began to talk to it as if it were possessed of reason and understanding a wanderer wanderer spotty spotty how have you gone limping all this time what wolves have frightened you my daughter won't you tell me what is the matter my beauty but what else can it be except that you are a she and cannot keep quiet a plague on your humours and the humours of those you take after come back come back my darling and if you will not be so happy at any rate you will be safe in the fold or with your companions for if you who ought to keep and lead them go wandering astray in this fashion what will become of them the goatherd's talk amused all who heard it but especially the canon who said to him as you live brother take it easy and be not in such a hurry to drive this goat back to the fold 
for being a female as you say she will follow her natural instinct in spite of all you can do to prevent it take this morsel and drink a sup and that will soothe your irritation and in the meantime the goat will rest herself and so saying he handed him the loins of a cold rabbit on a fork the goatherd took it with thanks and drank and calmed himself and then said i should be sorry if your worships were to take me for a simpleton for having spoken so seriously as i did to this animal but the truth is there is a certain mystery in the words i used i am a clown but not so much of one but that i know how to behave to men and to beasts that i can well believe said the curate for i know already by experience that the woods breed men of learning and shepherds huts harbour philosophers at all events senor returned the goatherd they shelter men of experience and that you may see the truth of this and grasp it though i may seem to put myself forward without being asked i will if it will not tire you gentlemen and you will give me your attention for a little tell you a true story which will confirm this gentleman's words and he pointed to the curate as well as my own to this don quixote replied seeing that this affair has a certain colour of chivalry about it i for my part brother will hear you most gladly and so will all these gentlemen from the high intelligence they possess and their love of curious novelties that interest charm and entertain the mind as i feel quite sure your story will do so begin friend for we are all prepared to listen i draw my stake said sancho and will retreat with this pasty to the brook there where i mean to victual myself for three days for i have heard my lord don quixote say that a knight-errant squire should eat until he can hold no more whenever he has the chance because it often happens them to get by accident into a wood so thick that they cannot find a way out of it for six days and if the man is not well filled or is alforjas well stored there he may stay as very often he does turned into a dried mummy thou art in the right of it sancho said don quixote go where thou wilt and eat all thou canst for i have had enough and only want to give my mind its refreshment as i shall by listening to this good fellow's story it is what we shall all do said the canon and then begged the goatherd to begin the promised tale the goatherd gave the goat which he held by the horns a couple of slaps on the back saying lie down here beside me spotty for we have time enough to return to our fold the goat seemed to understand him for as her master seated himself she stretched herself quietly beside him and looked up in his face to show him she was all attention to what he was going to say and then in these words he began his story end of volume one part one chapter fifty recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter fifty one of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter fifty one which deals with what the goatherd told those who were carrying off don quixote three leagues from this valley there is a village which though small is one of the richest in all this neighbourhood and in it there lived a farmer a very worthy man and so much respected that although to be so is the natural consequence of being rich he was even more respected for his virtue than for the wealth he had acquired but what made him still more fortunate as he said himself was having a daughter of such exceeding beauty rare intelligence gracefulness and virtue 
that every one who knew her and beheld her marvelled at the extraordinary gifts with which heaven and earth had endowed her as a child she was beautiful she continued to grow in beauty and at the age of sixteen she was most lovely the fame of her beauty began to spread abroad through all the villages around but why do i say the villages around merely when it spread to distant cities and even made its way into the halls of royalty and reached the ears of people of every class who came from all sides to see her as if to see something rare and curious or some wonder-working image her father watched over her and she watched over herself for there are no locks or guards or bolts that can protect a young girl better than her own modesty the wealth of the father and the beauty of the daughter led many neighbors as well as strangers to seek her for a wife but he as one might well be who had the disposal of so rich a jewel was perplexed and unable to make up his mind to which of her countless suitors he should entrust her i was one among the many who felt a desire so natural and as her father knew who i was and i was of the same town of pure blood in the bloom of life and very rich in possessions i had great hopes of success there was another of the same place and qualifications who also sought her and this made her father's choice hang in the balance for he felt that on either of us his daughter would be well bestowed so to escape from this state of perplexity he resolved to refer the matter to leandra for that is the name of the rich damsel who has reduced me to misery reflecting that as we were both equal it would be best to leave it to his dear daughter to choose according to her inclination a course that is worthy of imitation by all fathers who wish to settle their children in life i do not mean that they ought to leave them to make a choice of what is contemptible and bad but that they should place before them what is good and then allow them to make a good choice as they please i do not know which leandra chose i only know her father put us off with the tender age of his daughter and vague words that neither bound him nor dismissed us my rival is called anselmo and i myself eugenio that you may know the names of the personages that figure in this tragedy the end of which is still in suspense though it is plain to see it must be disastrous about this time there arrived in our town one vicente de la roca the son of a poor peasant of the same town the said vicente having returned from service as a soldier in italy and diverse other parts a captain who chanced to pass that way with his company had carried him off from our village when he was a boy of about twelve years and now twelve years later the young man came back in a soldier's uniform arrayed in a thousand colors and all over glass trinkets and fine steel chains to-day he would appear in one gay dress to-morrow in another but all flimsy and gaudy of little substance and less worth the peasant folk who are naturally malicious and when they have nothing to do can be malice itself remarked all this and took note of his finery and jewellery piece by piece and discovered that he had three suits of different colours with garters and stockings to match but he made so many arrangements and combinations out of them that if they had not counted them any one would have sworn that he had made a display of more than ten suits of clothes and twenty plumes do not look upon all this that i am telling you about the clothes as uncalled for or spun out for they have a great deal to do with the story he used to seat himself on a bench under the great poplar in our plaza and there he would keep us all hanging open-mouthed on the stories he told us of his exploits there was no country on the face of the globe he had not seen nor battle he had not been engaged in he had killed more moors than there are in morocco and tunis and fought more single combats according to his own account 
than garcilaso diego garcia de parades and a thousand others he named and out of all he had come victorious without losing a drop of blood on the other hand he showed marks of wounds which though they could not be made out he said were gunshot wounds received in diverse encounters and actions lastly with monstrous impudence he used to say you to his equals and even those who knew what he was and declared that his arm was his father and his deeds his pedigree and that being a soldier he was as good as the king himself and to add to these swaggering ways he was a trifle of a musician and played the guitar with such a flourish that some said he made it speak nor did his accomplishments end here for he was something of a poet too and on every trifle that happened in the town he made a ballad a league and a half long this soldier then that i have described this vicente de la roca this bravo gallant musician poet was often seen and watched by leandra from a window of her house which looked out on the plaza the glitter of his showy attire took her fancy his ballads bewitched her for he gave away twenty copies of every one he made the tales of his exploits which he told about himself came to her ears and in short as the devil no doubt had arranged it she fell in love with him before the presumption of making love to her had suggested itself to him and as in love affairs none are more easily brought to an issue than those which have the inclination of the lady for an ally leandra and vicente came to an understanding without any difficulty and before any of her numerous suitors had any suspicion of her design she had already carried it into effect having left the house of her dearly beloved father for mother she had none and disappeared from the village with the soldier who came more triumphantly out of this enterprise than out of any of the large number he laid claim to all the village and all who heard of it were amazed at the affair i was aghast anselmo thunderstruck her father full of grief her relations indignant the authorities all in a ferment the officers of the brotherhood all in arms they scoured the roads they searched the woods in all quarters and at the end of three days they found the flighty leandra in a mountain cave stripped to her shift and robbed of all the money and precious jewels she had carried away from home with her they brought her back to her unhappy father and questioned her as to her misfortune and she confessed without pressure that vicente de la roca had deceived her and under promise of marrying her had induced her to leave her father's house as he meant to take her to the richest and most delightful city in the whole world which was naples and that she ill-advised and deluded had believed him and robbed her father and handed over all to him the night she disappeared and that he had carried her away to a rugged mountain and shut her up in the cave where they had found her she said moreover that the soldier without robbing her of her honour had taken from her everything she had and made off leaving her in the cave a thing that still further surprised everybody it was not easy for us to credit the young man's countenance but she asserted it with such earnestness that it helped to console her distressed father who thought nothing of what had been taken since the jewel that once lost can never be recovered had been left to his daughter the same day that leandra made her appearance her father removed her from our sight and took her away to shut her up in a convent in a town near this in the hope that time may wear away some of the disgrace she has incurred leandra's youth furnished an excuse for her fault at least with those to whom it was of no consequence whether she was good or bad but those who knew her shrewdness and intelligence did not attribute her misdemeanor to ignorance but to wantonness and the natural disposition of women which is for the most part flighty and ill-regulated 
leandra withdrawn from sight anselmo's eyes grew blind or at any rate found nothing to look at that gave them any pleasure and mine were in darkness without a ray of light to direct them to anything enjoyable while leandra was away our melancholy grew greater our patience grew less we cursed the soldier's finery and railed at the carelessness of leandra's father at last anselmo and i agreed to leave the village and come to this valley and he feeding a great flock of sheep of his own and i a large herd of goats of mine we pass our life among the trees giving vent to our sorrows together singing the fair leandra's praises or upbraiding her or else sighing alone and to heaven pouring forth our complaints in solitude following our example many more of leandra's lovers have come to these rude mountains and adopted our mode of life and they are so numerous that one would fancy the place had been turned into the pastoral arcadia so full it is of shepherds and sheepfolds nor is there a spot in it where the name of the fair leandra is not heard here one curses her and calls her capricious fickle and immodest there another condemns her as frail and frivolous this pardons and absolves her that spurns and reviles her one extols her beauty another assails her character and in short all abuse her and all adore her and to such a pitch has this general infatuation gone that there are some who complain of her scorn without ever having exchanged a word with her and even some that bewail and mourn the raging fever of jealousy for which she never gave any one cause for as i have already said her misconduct was known before her passion there is no nook among the rocks no brookside no shade beneath the trees that is not haunted by some shepherd telling his woes to the breezes wherever there is an echo it repeats the name of leandra the mountains ring with leandra leandra murmur the brooks and leandra keeps us all bewildered and bewitched hoping without hope and fearing without knowing what we fear of all this silly set the one that shows the least and also the most sense is my rival anselmo for having so many other things to complain of he only complains of separation and to the accompaniment of a rebeck which he plays admirably he sings his complaints in verses that show his ingenuity i follow another easier and to my mind wiser course and that is to rail at the frivolity of women at their inconstancy their double dealing their broken promises their unkept pledges and in short the want of reflection they show in fixing their affections and inclinations this sirs was the reason of words and expressions i made use of to this goat when i came up just now for as she is a female i have a contempt for her though she is the best in all my fold this is a story i promised to tell you and if i have been tedious in telling it i will not be slow to serve you my hut is close by and i have fresh milk and dainty cheese there as well as a variety of toothsome fruit no less pleasing to the eye than to the palate end of volume one part one chapter fifty one recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter fifty two of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 52 Of the quarrel that Don Quixote had with the goatherd, 
together with the rare adventure of the penitents which with an expenditure of sweat he brought to a happy conclusion the goatherd's tale gave great satisfaction to all the hearers and the canon especially enjoyed it for he had remarked with particular attention the manner in which it had been told which was as unlike the manner of a clownish goatherd as it was like that of a polished city wit and he observed that the curate had been quite right in saying that the woods bred men of learning they all offered their services to eugenio but he who showed himself most liberal in this way was don quixote who said to him most assuredly brother goatherd if i found myself in a position to attempt any adventure i would this very instant set out on your behalf and would rescue leandra from that convent where no doubt she is kept against her will in spite of the abbess and all who might try to prevent me and would place her in your hands to deal with her according to your will and pleasure observing however the laws of chivalry which lay down that no violence of any kind is to be offered to any damsel but i trust in god our lord that the might of one malignant enchanter may not prove so great but that the power of another better disposed may prove superior to it and then i promise you my support and assistance as i am bound to do by my profession which is none other than to give aid to the weak and needy the goatherd eyed him and noticing don quixote's sorry appearance and looks he was filled with wonder and asked the barber who was next him senor who is this man who makes such a figure and talks in such a strain who should it be said the barber but the famous don quixote of la mancha the undoer of injustice the writer of wrongs the protector of damsels the terror of giants and the winner of battles that said the goatherd sounds like what one reads in the books of the knights errant who did all that you say this man does though it is my belief that either you are joking or else this gentleman has empty lodgings in his head you are a great scoundrel said don quixote and it is you who are empty and a fool i am fuller than ever was the whoreson bitch that bore you in passing from words to deeds he caught up a loaf that was near him and sent it full in the goatherd's face with such force that he flattened his nose but the goatherd who did not understand jokes and found himself roughly handled in such good earnest paying no respect to carpet tablecloth or diners sprang upon don quixote and seizing him by the throat with both hands would no doubt have throttled him had not sancho panza that instant come to the rescue and grasping him by the shoulders flung him down on the table smashing plates breaking glasses and upsetting and scattering everything on it don quixote finding himself free strove to get on top of the goatherd who with his face covered with blood and soundly kicked by sancho was on all fours feeling about for one of the table knives to take a bloody revenge with the canon and the curate however prevented him but the barber so contrived it that the goatherd got don quixote under and rained down upon him such a shower of fisticuffs that the poor knight's face streamed with blood as freely as his own the canon and the curate were bursting with laughter the officers were capering with delight and both the one and the other hissed them on as they do dogs that are worrying one another in a fight sancho alone was frantic for he could not free himself from the grasp of one of the canon's servants who kept him from going to his master's assistance at last while they were all with the exception of the two bruisers who were mauling each other in high glee and enjoyment they heard a trumpet sound a note so doleful that it made them all look in the direction whence the sound seemed to come but the one that was most excited by hearing it was don quixote 
who though sorely against his will he was under the goat-herd and something more than pretty well pummeled said to him brother devil for it is impossible but that thou must be one since thou hast had might and strength enough to overcome mine i ask thee to agree to a truce for but one hour for the solemn note of yonder trumpet that falls on our ears seems to me to summon me to some new adventure the goat-herd who was by this time tired of pummeling and being pummeled released him at once and don quixote rising to his feet and turning his eyes to the quarter where the sound had been heard suddenly saw coming down the slope of a hill several men clad in white like penitents the fact was that the clouds had that year withheld their moisture from the earth and in all the villages of the district they were organizing processions rogations and penances imploring god to open the hands of his mercy and send them rain and to this end the people of a village that was hard by were going in procession to a holy hermitage that was on one side of that valley don quixote when he saw the strange garb of the penitents without reflecting how often he had seen it before took it into his head that this was a case of adventure and that it fell to him alone as a knight-errant to engage in it and he was all the more confirmed in this notion by the idea that an image draped in black they had with them was some illustrious lady that these villains and discourteous thieves were carrying off by force as soon as this occurred to him he ran with all speed to rocinante who was grazing at large and taking the bridle and the buckler from the saddle-bow he had him bridled in an instant and calling to sancho for his sword he mounted rocinante braced his buckler on his arm and in a loud voice exclaimed to those who stood by now noble company ye shall see how important it is that there should be knights in the world professing the order of knight-errantry now i say ye shall see by the deliverance of that worthy lady who is born captive there whether knights-errant deserve to be held in estimation and so saying he brought his legs to bear on rocinante for he had no spurs and at a full canter for in all this voracious history we never read of rocinante fairly galloping set off to encounter the penitents though the curate the canon and the barber ran to prevent him but it was out of their power nor did he even stop for the shouts of sancho calling after him where are you going senor don quixote what devils have possessed you to set you on against our catholic faith plague take me mind that is a procession of penitents and the lady they are carrying on that stand there is the blessed image of the immaculate virgin take care what you are doing senor for this time it may be safely said you don't know what you are about sancho laboured in vain for his master was so bent on coming to quarters with these sheeted figures and releasing the lady in black that he did not hear a word and even had he heard he would not have turned back if the king had ordered him he came up with the procession and reined in rocinante who was already anxious enough to slacken speed a little and in a hoarse excited voice he exclaimed you who hide your faces perhaps because you are not good subjects pay attention and listen to what i am about to say to you the first to halt were those who were carrying the image and one of the four ecclesiastics who were chanting the litany struck by the strange figure of don quixote the leanness of rocinante and the other ludicrous peculiarities he observed said in reply to him brother if you have anything to say to us say it quickly for these brethren are whipping themselves and we cannot stop nor is it reasonable we should stop to hear anything unless indeed it is short enough to be said in two words i will say it in one replied don quixote and it is this that at once this very instant ye release that fair lady 
whose tears and sad aspects show plainly that ye are carrying her off against her will and ye have committed some scandalous outrage against her and i who was born into the world to redress all such like wrongs will not permit you to advance another step until you have restored to her the liberty she pines for and deserves from these words all the hearers concluded that he must be a madman and began to laugh heartily and their laughter acted like gunpowder on don quixote's fury for drawing his sword without another word he made a rush at the stand one of those who supported it leaving the burden to his comrades advanced to meet him flourishing a forked stick that he had for propping up the stand when resting and with this he caught a mighty cut don quixote made at him that severed it in two but with the portion that remained in his hand he dealt such a thwack on the shoulder of don quixote's sword-arm which the buckler could not protect against the clownish assault that poor don quixote came to the ground in a sad plight sancho panza who was coming on close behind puffing and blowing seeing him fall cried out to his assailant not to strike him again for he was a poor enchanted knight who had never harmed any one all the days of his life but what checked the clown was not sancho's shouting but seeing that don quixote did not stir hand or foot and so fancying he had killed him he hastily hitched up his tunic under his girdle and took to his heels across the country like a deer by this time all don quixote's companions had come up to where he lay but the processionists seeing them come running and with them the officers of the brotherhood with their crossbows apprehended mischief and clustering round the image raised their hoods and grasped their scourges as the priests did their tapers and awaited the attack resolved to defend themselves and even to take the offensive against their assailants if they could fortune however arranged the matter better than they expected for all sancho did was to fling himself on his master's body raising over him the most doleful and laughable lamentation that ever was heard for he believed he was dead the curate was known to another curate who walked in the procession and their recognition of one another set at rest the apprehensions of both parties the first then told the other in two words who don quixote was and he and the whole troop of penitents went to see if the poor gentleman was dead and heard sancho panza saying with tears in his eyes o oh, flower of chivalry that with one blow of a stick hast ended the course of thy well-spent life o pride of thy race honour and glory of all la mancha nay of all the world that for want of thee will be full of evil doers no longer in fear of punishment for their misdeeds o thou generous above all the alexanders since for only eight months of service thou hast given me the best island the sea girds or surrounds humble with the proud haughty with the humble encounterer of dangers endurer of outrages enamoured without reason imitator of the good scourge of the wicked enemy of the mean in short knight-errant which is all that can be said at the cries and moans of sancho don quixote came to himself and the first word he said was he who lives separated from you sweetest dulcinea has greater miseries to endure than these aid me friend sancho to mount the enchanted cart for i am not in a condition to press the saddle of rocinante as this shoulder is all knocked to pieces that i will do with all my heart senor said sancho and let us return to our village with these gentlemen who seek your good and there we will prepare for making another sally which may turn out more profitable and creditable to us thou art right sancho returned don quixote it will be wise to let the malign influence of the stars which now prevails pass off 
the canon the curate and the barber told him he would act very wisely in doing as he said and so highly amused at sancho panza's simplicities they placed don quixote in the cart as before the procession once more formed itself in order and proceeded on its road the goatherd took his leave of the party the officers of the brotherhood declined to go any farther and the curate paid them what was due to them the canon begged the curate to let him know how don quixote did whether he was cured of his madness or still suffered from it and then begged leave to continue his journey in short they all separated and went their ways leaving to themselves the curate and the barber don quixote sancho panza and the good rocinante who regarded everything with as great resignation as his master the carter yoked his oxen and made don quixote comfortable on a truss of hay and at his usual deliberate pace took the road the curate directed and at the end of six days they reached don quixote's village and entered it about the middle of the day which it so happened was a sunday and the people were all in the plaza through which don quixote's cart passed they all flocked to see what was in the cart and when they recognized their townsmen they were filled with amazement and a boy ran off to bring the news to his housekeeper and his niece that their master and uncle had come back all lean and yellow and stretched on a truss of hay on an ox-cart it was piteous to hear the cries the two good ladies raised how they beat their breasts and poured out fresh maledictions on those accursed books of chivalry all which was renewed when they saw don quixote coming in at the gate at the news of don quixote's arrival sancho panza's wife came running for she by this time knew that her husband had gone away with him as his squire and on seeing sancho the first thing she asked him was if the ass was well sancho replied that he was better than his master was thanks be to god said she for being so good to me but now tell me my friend what have you made by your squirings what gown have you brought me back what shoes for your children i bring nothing of that sort wife said sancho though i bring other things of more consequence and value i am very glad of that returned his wife show me these things of more value and consequence my friend for i want to see them to cheer my heart that has been so sad and heavy all these ages that you have been away i will show them to you at home wife said sancho be content for the present for if it please god that we should again go on our travels in search of adventures you will soon see me a count or governor of an island and that not one of those everyday ones but the best that is to be had heaven granted husband said she for indeed we have need of it but tell me what's this about islands for i don't understand it honey is not for the mouth of the ass returned sancho all in good time thou shalt see wife nay thou wilt be surprised to hear thyself called your ladyship by all thy vassals what are you talking about sancho with your ladyship's islands and vassals returned teresa panza for so sancho's wife was called though they were not relations for in la mancha it is customary for wives to take their husbands surnames don't be in such a hurry to know all this teresa said sancho it is enough that i am telling you the truth so shut your mouth but i may tell you this much by the way that there is nothing in the world more delightful than to be a person of consideration squire to a knight-errant and a seeker of adventures to be sure most of those one finds do not end as pleasantly as one could wish for out of a hundred that one meets with ninety-nine will turn out cross and contrary i know it by experience for out of some i came blanketed and out of others belaboured still for all that it is a fine thing to be on the lookout for what may happen crossing mountains searching woods climbing rocks visiting castles 
putting up at inns all at free quarters and devil take the maravedi to pay while this conversation passed between sancho panza and his wife don quixote's housekeeper and niece took him in and undressed him and laid him in his old bed he eyed them askance and could not make out where he was the curate charged his niece to be very careful to make her uncle comfortable and to keep a watch over him lest he should make his escape from them again telling her what they had been obliged to do to bring him home on this the pair once more lifted up their voices and renewed their maledictions upon the books of chivalry and implored heaven to plunge the authors of such lies and nonsense into the midst of the bottomless pit they were in short kept in anxiety and dread lest their uncle and master should give them the slip the moment he found himself somewhat better and as they feared so it fell out but the author of this history though he has devoted research and industry to the discovery of the deeds achieved by don quixote in his third sally has been unable to obtain any information respecting them at any rate derived from the authentic documents tradition has merely preserved in the memory of la mancha the fact that don quixote the third time he sallied forth from his home betook himself to saragossa where he was present at some famous jousts which came off in that city and that he had adventures there worthy of his valour and high intelligence of his end and death he could learn no particulars nor would he have ascertained it or known of it if good fortune had not produced an old physician for him who had in his possession a leaden box which according to his account had been discovered among the crumbling foundations of an ancient hermitage that was being rebuilt in which box were found certain parchment manuscripts in gothic character but in castilian verse containing many of his achievements and setting forth the beauty of dulcinea the form of rosinante the fidelity of sancho panza and the burial of don quixote himself together with sundry epitaphs and eulogies on his life and character but all that could be read and deciphered were those which the trustworthy author of this new and unparalleled history here presents and the said author asks of those that shall read it nothing in return for the vast toil which it has cost him in examining and searching the manchegan archives in order to bring it to light save that they give him the same credit the people of sense give to the books of chivalry that pervade the world and are so popular for with this he will consider himself amply paid and fully satisfied and will be encouraged to seek out and produce other histories if not as truthful at least equal in invention and not less entertaining the first words written on the parchment found in the leaden box were these the academicians of argamasilla a village of la mancha on the life and death of don quixote of la mancha hoc scripserunt muxicongo academician of argamasilla on the tomb of don quixote epitaph the scatter-brain that gave la mancha more rich spoils than jason's who a point so keen had to his wit and happier far had been if his wit's weathercock a blunter bore the arm renowned far as gaeta's shore cathay and all the lands that lie between the muse discreet and terrible in mien as ever wrote on brass in days of yore he who surpassed the amadis's all and who has not the galliors accounted supported by his love and gallantry who made the belianuses sing small and sought renown on rocinante mounted here underneath this cold stone doth he lie paniaguado academician of argamasilla in laudem dulcinea del toboso sonnet 
she whose full features may be here descried high-bosomed with a bearing of disdain is dulcinea she for whom in vain the great don quixote of la mancha sighed for her toboso's queen from side to side he traversed the grim sierra the champagne of aranjuez and montiel's famous plain on rocinante oft a weary ride malignant planets cruel destiny pursued them both the fair manchegan dame and the unconquered star of chivalry nor youth nor beauty saved her from the claim of death he paid love's bitter penalty and left the marble to preserve his name capriccioso a most acute academician of argamasilla in praise of rocinante steed of don quixote of la mancha sonnet on that proud throne of diamantine sheen which the blood-reeking feet of mars degrade the mad manchegan's banner now hath been by him in all its bravery displayed there hath he hung his arms and trenchant blade wherewith achieving deeds till now unseen he slays lays low cleaves hews but art hath made a novel style for our new paladin if amadis be the proud boast of gaul if by his progeny the fame of greece through all the regions of the earth be spread great quixote crowned in grim bellona's hall to-day exalts la mancha over these and above greece or gaul she holds her head nor ends his glory here for his good steed does briador and bayard far exceed as mettled steeds compared with rocinante the reputation they have won is scanty burlador academician of argamasilla on sancho panza sonnet the worthy sancho panza here you see a great soul once was in that body small nor was there squire upon this earthly ball so plain and simple or of guile so free within an ace of being count was he and would have been but for the spite and gall of this vile age mean and illiberal that cannot even let a donkey be for mounted on an ass excuse the word by rocinante's side this gentle squire was wont his wandering master to attend delusive hopes that lure the common herd with promises of ease the heart's desire in shadows dreams and smoke ye always end Cachi diablo academician of argamasilla on the tomb of don quixote epitaph the night lies here below ill-errant and bruised sore whom rocinante bore in his wanderings to and fro by the side of the night is laid stolid man sancho too than whom a squire more true was not in the esquire trade tikitak academician of argamasilla on the tomb of dulcinea del toboso epitaph here dulcinea lies plump was she and robust now she is ashes and dust the end of all flesh that dies a lady of high degree with the port of a lofty dame and the great don quixote's flame and the pride of her village was she these were all the verses that could be deciphered the rest the writing being worm-eaten were handed over to one of the academicians to make out their meaning conjecturally we have been informed that at the cost of many sleepless nights and much toil he has succeeded and that he means to publish them in hopes of don quixote's third sally forse altro cantera con milior pletro End of Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 52 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine
End of Volume 1 of The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by John Ormsby, 1829 to 1895. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.